The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast here on the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always as we go show to show, week by week through this crazy wrestling company of World Championship Wrestling is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, sir? Really well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Looking forward to diving into this episode of Nitro. Spoiler alerts, I guess, for our ratings at the end of the episode. I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, same here, mate. Yeah, it's a it's a good show. I think it's a good show. Uh, the show we are talking about first aired on Monday, August the 19th, 1996. It comes to us from Huntsville, Alabama. Again, as we're in the middle of the 83-week run, Nitro won on the night with a 3.5 to Monday Night Raw's 2.9. Over on the other channel, we had the beginnings of an intercontinental title tournament on Monday Night Raw, with Owen Hart defeating Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, to advance in that tournament. We also had uh, appearances by Jim Cornette, Clarence Mason, and so on, talking about Yokozuna and bigging him up. Vader defeated Freddie Joe Floyd after a couple of minutes. Um, Goldust won a four-man battle royal, last eliminating Savo Vega in under 10 minutes. And in the main event, Shawn Michaels, the WWF world champion at this point, defeated Yokozuna in a non-title match with the superkick. Now, I'm not too sure why it was a non-title. Being a babyface champion, you would have thought that he would have put the belt up anyway. Bit of an odd one for me, but not much going on on that episode of Raw, Danny, to me. No, same here, mate. I mean, anytime you've got um, Shawn Michaels versus Yokozuna, that does sound intriguing, but yeah, non-title, a bit weird. It is. It is. So then, uh, we also, I suppose, better take a little look at what happened the previous Saturday to this edition of Monday Night Raw, with Danny giving us the Saturday night results. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. 
So uh, Saturday night, uh, which aired August the 17th, uh, we had Rough and Ready um, defeating the Blue Bloods, Bobby Eaton and Dave Taylor. That sounded pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> um, we had <laughs> the Four Horsemen uh, of Arn Anderson, Chris Benoit and Ric Flair defeating High Voltage and the Renegade. Okay, that's uh, quite an odd mix. Yeah, really odd. We had your favourite team, Si, the Nasty Boys, defeating Bobby Walker and Mark Starr. Right. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> we're not done yet. We've still got two matches. Uh, we had the Giants defeating Jim Powers. I can't imagine that went long. No. <laughs> and then we had a match where we've seen quite a lot of these teams uh, wrestling each other. We had Harlem Heat defeating uh, the Steiner brothers. Well, actually, I say defeating, but it ended in a no contest, as I'm reading here. <laughs> Yeah, when you said defeating the Steiners, I was a little bit surprised because I couldn't see the Steiners taking a loss on Saturday night, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that episode of Saturday night sounds more appealing than the episode of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and that says a lot because they got rough and ready on there. Nobody wants to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> the opening of this edition of Monday Nitro, however, is it's a wrestling match. Normally, we get a little chat with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco and whoever else may be joining them. But the show is open straight away with, with a wrestling contest. And it's a rematch from the Clash of the Champions event. No, it's not Malenko. No, it's not uh, Rey Mysterio. Sadly, the rematch they have picked is VK Wall Street versus Jim Duggan. <laughs> and I suppose it's very similar to the match we saw at the Clash event, Danny. It's very, I would say, pretty solid 80s big guy brawling i suppose yeah yeah that's a great way of putting it mate but as i was watching it i was just thinking man jim duggan is timeless i mean he can really fit into any era um mm. and yeah i mean he may wrestle like a, his days are in wwf but yeah he you could pluck him into any uh you could pluck him into AEW now and i'm sure he would be entertaining yeah, I suppose he's, he's, he's a genuinely likeable guy, and yeah. I suppose that comes across to the audience. And you've got the USA chants and, and all that sort of stuff as well, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the match begins with, uh, as I said, a little bit of 80s-style brawling before an atomic drop by Duggan sends Wall Street to the outside. When they get back into the ring, VK Wall Street takes control of the match, and then we have quite a long chin lock spot with the old heel tactic of using the ropes for a bit of extra leverage and a little bit of extra torque on the hold uh, we have a near fall for vk wall street after a fairly impressive looking leg drop before duggan then hits a clothesline and starts to come back he then hits a suplex and he goes for that bloody fist tape again danny <laughs> but this time our referee nick patrick takes the tape off him and as that happens, VK Wall Street grabs the tape and starts taping up his hands. Duggan on the, uh, I suppose, the backside of this, where, where, where they can't see what's going on. Duggan has produced more tape, rolls it into around his fist, hits VK Wall Street right in front of the referee. It couldn't be any more obvious uh, <laughs> and, and makes the pin for the win. I mean, it's not great, was it? It wasn't great. No, it certainly wasn't. And I just wrote down, why does Duggan get a pass, but VK Wall Street gets um, scolded? <laughs> because he's Jim Duggan and we all love him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Mean Gene enters the ring and is with Jim Duggan, who then uh, he basically cuts what I think is a pretty good promo, to be fair. Talking yeah. about Hogan and how they used to be friends and he doesn't like what he's done. He's turned his back on the fans, his friends and his family. And he says, I want to talk to you man to man and actually even refers to Hulk Hogan as Terry, which I thought was a nice touch. It was it was quite a good promo, Danny, I thought. Yeah, it was really well done um, compared to some of the other promos we've seen him. But I've just well done a question here for you, sir. Okay. Is this the first time Hulk Hogan's real name was used on television? Oh, crikey. Um, I'm not sure. I'd, I can't, off the top of my head, I cannot give you an answer. I'd have to do a little bit more research for that. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Yeah, uh, I, I think 96. Yeah. Uh, we're sort of half over halfway through 96. Yeah. Seems a bit late to uh, maybe be the first time, but it could well be. I'd need to look into it, my friend. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, something's coming to mind with uh, maybe the Nasty Boys maybe have dropped um, a Terry reference or something. But yeah, it, it's very rare. And it just goes with the very sincere tone that Jim Duggan had in this promo. Yeah, and, and Duggan's promos are always very much shouty, yelly, thumbs yeah. up, you know, certain catchphrases, and he sticks his tongue out and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> But this one, it did feel different. It did feel more serious. And I suppose it adds more to the realism that they're trying to get with the whole NWO angle. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, this is then interrupted by Randy Savage, who comes out and Duggan, rather pantomime-esque, rather comedy-esque, doesn't know whether he can trust Savage and puts his fists up and then they agree they're on the same page. Savage talks of the attack from Hogan a couple of weeks ago when he was struck with the chair and we learn that Savage is going to be facing the giant later tonight. Uh, the, the Savage portion of this interview segment, Danny, how did you feel that went? To be honest with you, I feel like Macho Man kind of came in and you don't want to say that stole the spotlight, but he kind of took the spotlight away from Jim Duggan here. Mm. Um, but I also found it ridiculous that he said he had 15,000 stitches in his head after the Hulk Hogan attack. <laughs> that chair shot did look incredibly stiff, to be fair, Danny. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> to be fair, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, you're right. I mean, you're right. Savage, obviously, Savage to go to, Sorry, go with on. the storyline. Yeah. No, you're right. Savage arrives and it, it does kind of take away from what Duggan is doing. I, I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah, but but at the same time, I mean, we're not going for Hulk Hogan versus Jim Duggan, so I can see why. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, it makes sense. This is followed up by our second contest of the night, and we have Earl Robert Eaton taking on Chris Benoit. And straight away, as soon as uh, Eaton's music hit, I was like, okay, who's the, who's he going to be facing then? And then when Benoit came out, I, I sat up in my chair a little bit. I was like, okay, this is going to be this has got the potential to be very very good because these are two guys who. You know, in ring, I think are superb. I'm big fans of both of these fellas, Danny. Yeah, the same here, man. I mean, loved seeing both of them uh, kind of reach their um, sort of their prime here, and which I've, I've loved seeing uh, Chris Benoit grow as a, as a performer. But I love seeing uh, Robert Eaton as well. So yeah, yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, the match begins with some some pretty good actual wrestling. We have a few go-behinds, a few hip tosses, a few pin attempts, and so on. Um, we have a, an abdominal stretch, which gets countered into an arm drag, before both competitors then end up on the outside of the ring. 
Eaton gets sent into the ring post and then hip tossed on the floor. And the noise he made when he hit the floor, that sounded nasty, didn't it? It, it did, mate. Very, very brutal. Uh, on the outside as well, woman who is accompanied uh, Benoit to the ring along with Miss Elizabeth gets a kick in on Eaton as well. <laughs> Before Tony Schiavone on commentary then starts talking of the fall brawl pay-per-view that is upcoming and starts mentioning war games, the match beyond, etc, etc. So we're a few weeks away from the pay-per-view, but they're already planting the seed in our minds, Danny, aren't they, with regards to war games and, and that sort of gang style contest. Yeah, they really are. And I mean, we'll talk about it a bit later, but they I think they do a great job of setting up um, or setting the tone for the pay-per-view. Mm, yes, I think so. I think so. Uh, back in the ring, Bobby Eaton takes control and he chokes Benoit for a while and also uses a net breaker. Eaton goes to the top rope. Then it looks like he's going to go for that spectacular top rope leg drop that he uh, utilizes on certain occasions. But Benoit's on the wrong side and Eaton kind of comes off a bit wonky and misses the leg drop anyway. But that's fine. He's missed the leg drop. It is what it is. And we go to the, the finish of Benoit using that diving top rope headbutt to get the three count. Now, I enjoyed this match. Don't get me wrong. But the biggest takeaway I had was that top rope headbutt from Benoit. Now, we know the issues that Benoit had in later years, which then led into the tragic and horrific and somewhat evil aspect of how his life ended along with others around him and how concussions and other issues led to uh, certain scenarios going on with Benoit's health, which some people say uh, contributed to you know, th those horrific last couple of days of his life. This diving headbutt here, Danny, I can see where this move may have contributed. Because yeah. the diving headbutt, people talk about, you know, the likes of Dynamite Kid and Harley Race who have used it in the past, suffering from concussion issues and neck issues and so on. You look at this one from Benoit, my God, that looked bad. Sort of whiplash and a, a real jarring effect on his neck. Did you pick up on any of that? Yeah, I did, mate. And it looked more um, like damaging to him than it did Eaton. But mm. I have to give a big shout out to Bobby Eaton because the way he sold it was just perfect um but now you've mentioned that um, maybe it wasn't a sell job and maybe he was actually reacting like that <laughs> mm. yeah the way Benoit hit that I mean his body hits the canvas his head and neck kind of hit Eaton so you have this kind of whiplash effect and then of course the ring itself has that kind of that kind of secondary bump doesn't that kind of yeah. that, that sort of little bounce to it when a move is hit and it, it, both competitors go up and down and Benoit's neck kind of twists and yeah, it did not. I mean, it's, it's not a glaringly obvious issue, but knowing that this move led to problems with other competitors and of course, knowing about Benoit's concussion issues himself and this yeah. move being attributed to some issues, I suppose if we weren't looking out for it, we wouldn't notice but the fact that that is in the back of my mind when I saw that, I was a bit, I was a bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel that too, mate. Hmm. After this match, we have the first of this week's Glacier promos. <laughs> Danny, still excited? He's still not coming, Si. <laughs> Goodness. It's taking an age. It's taking an age. <laughs> uh, this is then followed by a recap of the triangle tag from the Clash of the Champions events. 
and Nick Patrick's promo after the match, talking about how the NWO got involved and so on. We then get an interview with Sting and Lex Luger, and they're with Mean Gene, and they have a surprise for the Horseman. I'm not 100% sure how to take this interview. I don't... Sometimes I'm a big fan of wrestlers going out there and having bullet points and then cutting a promo and let the ones who can do it fly high, let the ones who cannot sink low. And if if people can't, then they can have a manager to do it for them and all that sort of stuff. Letting sort of the natural selection of the talent, you know, take its course. There are other moments, however, when I feel scripted promos may assist with the product. And this is one of them, I think, Danny, my friend. Yeah, the same here, mate. I mean, I just wrote down Sting and Luger have talk about a surprise. They have a plan. They have a plan for the horsemen. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's it. But they seem to stretch that out over a few minutes, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Luger in recent weeks has seemed very fired up, very confident in his promos, very uh, sure of himself when it comes to um, articulating and, and 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 you know putting forward his points of view. Here it felt like Luger had taken a couple of steps back. We almost had the uh, the almost stuttering Luger tripping over his own words at times. Yeah, mm, yeah. Hopefully that doesn't continue because I thought Luger has been great in recent weeks. Oh yeah, big time. We've we've loved seeing uh, his uh, promo work. So yeah. Mm. Um, after this discussion with Mean Gene about a potential surprise for the Horseman. We have Disco Inferno on his way to the ring. I don't think we've seen him for a little while, have we? No, no, it's been a few, a couple, close to a month, I think. Yeah, so that, that's quite a nice surprise. And he is facing Scott Norton, which is a complete mismatch in anyone's book, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, I felt for Disco Inferno here, Danny, because he gets basically nothing in, and Norton just beats the piss out of him. Yeah. It really does throughout the entire match. But um, earlier in the week, I messaged you, so I didn't I, with uh, in the um, Disco Inferno entrance, you see a, a sign that says, where's Glacier? So well, people are getting frustrated a little bit, I think. <laughs> spot on. Where is Glacier? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the match begins with Disco Inferno being chopped to hell by Scott Norton. Hit all over the place. Uh, they go to the outside. Disco tries to build offense on the way back in as Norton is stepping through the ropes, but gets absolutely splatted with a shoulder block. Disco Inferno then you know, hits a few elbows towards Norton's back and neck, which Scott Norton completely no-sells, turns around <laughs> and just flattens the guy. Yeah. Norton, then, Norton then takes a couple of occasions to fret an eye strain to the camera before hitting a really nasty looking shoulder breaker and eventually getting the win via submission with a Fujiwara armbar. Yeah. We then cut to Mean Gene and uh, uh, Gene is with Ice Train and what seems like is going to become his new manager at Teddy Long. Uh, we get a recap of Ice Train being attacked by Norton and then Ice Train cuts a promo and I don't know if it, he's just not looking in the right direction or he's being queued up to the wrong camera but ice train cuts a really wobbly promo talking about how he's not going to be done up like a mummy for long these bandages will come off and i'm coming for you scott norton the disco inferno match and then the ice train interview segment afterwards danny what what were your thoughts in general here 
It was it was a nice touch that you had um, it, straight after um, this interview, straight after the match, because it reminded fans of, oh, yeah, these two are still feuding with each other. But honestly, yes. I can't get over the the um, bandage being over the T-shirt of Ice Train. It just, <laughs> it just irks me. It's like, why? <laughs> but the thing is, as well, if I yeah. looked like some of these guys, I mean, Ice Train is put together. He is a yeah. he is a great looking dude. He is ripped. If I looked like him, you couldn't pay me to keep a shirt on. I'd be walking around <laughs> topless all the time. Same, yeah. I mean, so why is he? Wet? I mean, I just don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, this uh, this segment here with Mean Gene, Ice Train, and Teddy Long is followed by an advert for the upcoming episode of Saturday Night, and we get told Lex Luger will be defending the television championship on Saturday night. Now, we haven't seen the TV title for God knows how long. Luger is on television a lot, but never wears it. There's never even been a mention of it. So, for example, we had an interview with Sting and Luger a few segments ago. If this was, say, modern-day WWE, or even WWF back in the day, we would get, and waiting with Mean Gene is Sting and the world television champion Lex Luger. None of that yeah. gets mentioned. It's almost like these belts literally just get forgotten about and, and drop off the face of the earth, Danny. They do. And it, well, you can say the face of the earth, but they drop straight onto Saturday nights where no one's watching. <laughs> well, you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just so strange. I, I mean, mm. you look at these two singles titles, the television championship and the United States championship. One is held by Lex Luger who is a very prominent part of the weekly television. He is a very popular babyface at this point in his career. He's you know, got an alliance with Sting, who is potentially the most popular babyface in the company. You then look at the United States champion. That's Ric Flair, for crying out loud. You don't need to describe much more with regards to him. But they don't mention that these guys are holding titles in their company. It just absolutely baffles me. Yeah. And you wonder why championships really are not really looked at as like you can't say these. Uh, I would never call championship or prop or anything like that, but they don't seem really important at this juncture. No, no, not at all. And uh, you look through history as well. I mean, with regards to the United States title, you look at the names that have held that. Again, we say Flair, Harley Race, Sting, uh, so many great WCW and Jim Crockett promotions and, and NWA greats. You know, the likes of Wyndham and so on. You look at the television championship, some of the fantastic TV title matches involving Arn Anderson uh, and numerous others. It's a real shame that at this point in time, they're kind of an afterthought. When you've got a roster the size that WCW has, you could quite easily put them on guys who are wrestling every week on television. Or, better yet, just have the guys who are currently you know, the title holders carry the fucking belts around with them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, how important will the United States Championship feel if Ric Flair has got it round his waist on television? How yeah. big is the TV title all of a sudden in the eyes of the fans, especially younger fans who, who, who just adore the baby faces and boo the heels because they're still you know of th- that mindset? How important will the TV title seem all of a sudden if one of their favourites, Lex Luger, is holding it? Yeah, it just it's well just said. shooting themselves in the foot to me. Yeah, it definitely is. Ridiculous, ridiculous. 
Up next, we have another member of the Blue Bloods. We have Lord Stephen Regal, and he is facing Dean Malengo. And what I, first of all, looking forward to this match straight away because these are two guys who wrestle in the style that I am very, very fond of. But we have Nick Patrick as our referee, and he gets openly booed by the crowd because of all the, the controversies and so on that is surrounding him at the moment. I thought that was really interesting, Danny. Yeah, it, it, you can, it just shows that the storyline is taking effect and people are getting into getting into this storyline, which I'm loving. Yes, indeed. Uh, again, it's similar to the match we not long we, we covered a few moments ago. Great wrestling to start off. You know, arm drags and submissions back and forth. And the commentators even used the term catch as catch can about a million times in the first you know, 90 <laughs> seconds of this match. Regal hit, hit, hits an insiguri after a cartwheel, which was quite a sight to behold. Yeah. Uh, uses a full Nelson at one point, which I'm, I, I enjoyed. You don't see that hold enough, in my opinion. Dimalenko does fight back, however, with a kick from the middle rope and a German suplex. Regal hits a butterfly suplex for a very close two count before Dimalenko hits a release German suplex and then wins with a roll-up. And yeah. I thought this was bloody fantastic. It, it really was. I mean, you said it earlier, um, it's very much like the Kristen War, um, Robert Eaton match. It's like, yeah, like these two will put on a classic match. It guaranteed it. It's wrestling how it's wrestling how I want to see wrestling done. I mean, I, I'm yeah. all for seeing the odd massive blood-soaked brawl. Doesn't bother me in the slightest. I enjoy high flyers and, and all the luchadors and all that sort of stuff. But if I could hand pick a type of wrestling that I enjoy, it's this yeah. actual wrestling hold for hold. And I think these, well, the four we have seen here, the two members of the blue bloods and the two, the two uh, smaller, uh, almost cruiserweight-esque, I suppose in, in Benoit and Malenko, the styles of wrestling they put on it is right up my street, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. man. This then brings us to, our first interaction with the four horsemen. We have Mean Gene with the horsemen, and we're basically talking about the match coming up with Sting and Luger that Rick and I are facing them later on in the show. But the biggest takeaway for me from this segment was just how fantastic Arn Anderson was again. Yeah. Everything that comes out of this guy's mouth, I believe. Yeah, you bang on, mate. I mean, you even—it was so good that you even texted me this um, the other day when you watched it. It was like this is big time. This Arn Anderson promo, so good. He's talking about he's never needed a weapon in his back pocket to feel tough, and 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 I, I believe him. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 100 no, percent no. in agreement. It's, yeah, um, it's, it's just shocking that AEW doesn't have him on television because he's he could still cut a promo like this today. He's so good, so good, and I mean, we see him again later on in the show, which which we'll obviously come to shortly. But it's the contrast as well for me because Arn is just there in his trunks and a t-shirt, you know, short hair, bold on top, obviously, and just looks the way he does. Very serious, very down down to earth, very straightforward business first kind of approach. And then alongside him is Flair in the robe and the hair and the wooing and the sparkles and the gemstones all over his gown and all that sort of stuff. 
the contrast is huge, but it just really, really works with Arn in this yeah. enforcer role, doesn't it? It really does, man. This brings us to our two. So we now have Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan joining us on commentary. Zabisco and Tony Schiavone are done for the evening. And we open, whereas we have a a new combo on commentary, we open our two with an old combo in the ring. We have the Nasty Boys versus the Public Enemy for what seems like the four millionth bloody time. (laughs) It really does. Um, To make matters worse, we were just talking about um, the great two great matches with Chris Benoit, Robert L. Eaton, Dean Malenko and Regal. And we go from that to the other end of the extreme with uh, these two. <laughs> mm. Again, you've got to cater to, to all types of audience, haven't you? And yeah. this kind of brawling ECW hardcore style that especially the public enemy bring to these confrontations, there is an audience out there for it, especially in 1996. So I appreciate WCW trying to uh, capture the imagination of that that particular audience so i get that and as far as the matches go between nasty boys and public enemy a great deal of them are pretty much the same but this wasn't bad this wasn't you know a case of i mean when, when the guys came out to the ring i'm thinking oh god not again <laughs> but by the end of it i thought okay this was all right i didn't mind that too much it didn't go on too long mm. um we had we did have that stupid WCW Nitro split screen thing <laughs> because obviously it's not a tag match. This is just four guys brawling, and there's I don't think there was a single tag made in the match, was there? No, no. So in theory, the ref should just throw it out straight from the off anyway. So that that, that makes you know nonsense of the rules. But there we go. Uh, we get a few cool spots. I mean, Rocco Rock jumps uh, onto the top rope and then backflips off to counter an arm ringer. That looked quite quite spectacular. Um, grunge misses an elbow drop from the apron to the floor, which looked like a very nasty bump. Yeah. Uh, the public enemy set up sags on the table that they always carry with them, but he moves and the public enemy go through the table themselves again. And <laughs> eventually <laughs> you know, straight after that, sorry, Brian Nobbs actually pins Rocco rock with an elbow drop. It was, it was all right. I can, I can understand why it was on the show. Yeah. I'm just glad it didn't go too long. Danny, what were your thoughts? Me too, man. I'm glad they kept this relatively short. But the main thing I loved about it is that we didn't get a, a aimless brawl that went to the back. We actually got a clean finish with somebody getting pinned one, two, three. So that was that was the thing that made it for me. But yeah, I could have done without this. <laughs> yeah, and um, what I definitely could have done without is the fact that Mean Gene gets in the ring and lets the nasties talk again. And we get the usual shouty, ranting, we're nasty, we're nasty, WCW, NWO, we're just nasty bullshit. But at the very end of it, they mention they're coming for the WCW titles. So I suppose now all of a sudden they've got a purpose. They're not just out there shouting and ranting, I guess. They're saying they're coming for the belts. So yeah, it, there's a reason for them to be on my television now, I guess, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> well said, mate. There we go. Uh, we then get a recap again from the Clash of the Champions event of Eddie Guerrero on this occasion uh, and his contest against Diamond Dallas Page. And I thought we were going to get a rematch. I thought the recap was showing us this because we're going to get a rematch and Eddie Guerrero was going to face Page on Nitro. But we don't. We have Diamond Dallas Page taking on Chavo Guerrero, which I thought was quite a nice little swear of there, Danny, to be fair. 
it really was, mate. And um, I think I believe in the beginning of this um, DDP Eddie Guerrero match from the Class of the Champions, I was saying I just wasn't interested in this feud at all. But now uh, this is getting some sort of legs behind it because now DDP is wrestling um, an angry Chavo Guerrero because of what happened. Uh, so there's a reason at the Clash. So there's a reason. Mm, yes, exactly. Exactly. We get two really quick drop kicks from Chavo to start. I mean, he's really fired up here because obviously DDP attacked Eddie after the bell, and that's probably why he's not here, to be fair. We, um, Chavo is you know, looking for some form of revenge, I assume. He misses a shoulder block into the corner, though, and hits the ring post, and that's where DDP takes control. And I like this. I thought this was quite good storytelling. We get a couple of moves from DDP here because he's the much bigger opponent, uh, sorry, bigger competitor. And in theory, he's more experienced as far as WWE television goes. And he's on a bit of a winning streak as well, barring the match itself against Eddie recently. So we have the, the younger, smaller, less experienced Guerrero getting beaten up by DDP. Uh, Page hits a powerbomb that stops the pin at two. He hits a huge belly-to-belly and again stops the pin at two. He's putting his opponent's shoulders up off the mat to carry on giving him more punishment. DDP sets for the diamond cutter, but then Chavo counters it very quickly into a backslide and and wins the match. And it's sold like a complete upset. And there's a beat down after the bell and so on. I thought with regards to the storytelling aspect, this worked quite well. Yeah, it really did, mate. What famous match in the early days of Raw did this remind you of? Are you hinting at Razor versus the 123 Kid? Yes. Bang okay. on. Yeah. I, I got those big vibes from this match, especially the finish. Mm. Yeah, okay. I can get that. Yeah, similar kind of vibe to it. Yeah, no, I totally get you. And, and the aftermath as well. Well, the aftermath was interesting because we get more of that uh, grey area, more of the questions being asked about Nick Patrick. Yeah. Um, DDP beats Chavo down after the match, and he manages to get hold of Nick Patrick's belt, take it out of his trousers, out of the belt loops, and so on, and, and whips Chavo with it, etc. Before another ref comes down and stops all this going on, Nick Patrick then is questioned by the other referee, asking, "How can you let this happen?" And Nick Patrick just says he just grabbed the belt. It was what it was. And I thought that's really good because, again, it's that same scenario we spoke about in previous weeks here on Nitro Nights in that we can see what's happening. But straight afterwards, Nick Patrick can explain it away as, well, actually, this is what happened. And you can go sit there and go, well, I can see his point of view, actually. Is he being a dick or is he just misunderstood? And and there's that that kind of grey area thrown over the whole thing. Uh, Again, it comes back to what we were saying on a previous episode here on the show, Danny. Really clever storytelling. It really is, mate. And and as we were saying earlier about Nick Patrick getting booed, it's just, it's showing. Yeah, I mean, this story writing is just almost perfection. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, We do get an interview with Nick Patrick, actually, after the match. And he is with Mean Gene, as always, because if there's going to be an interview, it will be with Gene. And he explains, Nick Patrick, sorry, explains that everything is being blown out of proportion. It's it's not a big deal. These are a collection of little things that are happening and people are seeing stuff that's not really there. So, again, he's not saying no. 
he's not saying yes. He's just saying people are exaggerating. It's not as bad as you think. It, I'm doing my job and so on. So it doesn't really give us an answer either way. And I, I thought that, again, was very, very clever. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I'm really excited to see where they take this. Yes, it's very good. It's very good. We have yet another recap. But on this occasion, it's going way, way back, Danny, isn't it? We're going way back to September of 95. So not long after we started this project, not long after Nitro began. And it's a recap of Harlem Heat dropping the WCW World Tag Team titles to the American males because we're having a rematch of that basically next. And our tag team titles are on the line as Harlem Heat take on the American males. Were you surprised to see this on the card, Danny? I was, yeah. But I really liked the fact that we went all the way back um, many, many months ago uh, to the previous year because it shows now that, like, WCW doesn't forget its history, even though Nitro is not even a year old, barely, mm. barely, nearly a year old, 11 months. It just shows like, oh, yeah, there's history here. And I love that. Yes. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Eric Bischoff on commentary here, then randomly starts talking about the NWO. And he effectively is calling bullshit on the NWO having fourth and fifth guys which is what everyone's been talking about going into the Clash event. Everyone was talking about going into the last pay-per-view. Who's next? Who's the fourth guy? We then get the question mark of, oh, it's not just the fourth guy. Who's the fifth guy? And so on. And Bischoff on commentary here is saying, doesn't believe it. There's only the three of them. They haven't got anyone else. How did you take that comment, Danny? Do you think that was a good idea to say that on, on air? Do you think it adds to the story, takes away from the story? Where do you think they're heading with this? It's a weird one for me because for weeks and weeks and weeks we've heard that there might be a fourth guy and a fifth guy and who knows how many of... And we've heard the commentators be scared and act scared and it's like now Bischoff is... Uh, I mean, he did this all throughout the night. He was kind of like, WSW's going nowhere. It's kind of like... um okay, don't expect anyone else because no one else is coming. But in the weeks before, we were we were getting like hints of who is the fourth guy, fifth guy. So, so I'm not sure how to feel about that one, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I, I think to me, yeah, I would imagine it's just a little bit of a distraction. Yeah. Everyone's asking about who the fourth guy is, who's next and so on. And then nothing's come of it for a little while. I would imagine we're now going to see who the next few members of the NWO are. So by Bischoff then saying, oh, they haven't got anyone. It almost adds more of a surprise factor, I guess, to the viewer when they do have someone, maybe. Yeah. Just a little sort of distraction technique. I mean, I, I could be reading far too much into that, but that's how I kind of took it. Yeah, that's uh, The match begins with Harlem Heat in control, as you can imagine. Um, we get a cool spot, though, as Scotty Riggs dropkicks Booker T as he comes off the top rope. That That's very spectacular, and the timing of that was very well done yeah. before he gets the hot tag to Bagwell, and Marcus Bagwell comes in and clears the house um, before Harlem Heat take control again and eventually just go on to win the match. I mean, is, is, there's not much that goes on aside from, from that, Danny. Is there anything I've missed that you want to bring up? No, um, apart from uh, a couple of quick um, close pins from Bagwell, where the point where I thought that they were going to win this, but um, 
yeah, um, the crowd were really into this match as well. And I just wish that Robert Parker would just go away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, I mean, totally, 100%. Uh, we then come to what I think is the highlight of this episode. And it's not a wrestling match. It's a it, it's an interview segment. It's a back and forth. It's a promo segment. But most importantly, it's a storytelling moment. And for me personally, as a fan of WCW, the NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, and the history of all that those companies going back into the 80s and so on, I find this fascinating. We're billed to have the horseman combination of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson taking on Sting and Lex Luger. I mean, there's so much history there. I mean, Sting was a member of the horseman many, many, many years ago. Luger was a member of the horseman many years ago. Both got turned on. Sting and Luger have had huge battles with Flair, Anderson, and the horseman in general for over a decade. So much history in the whole Sting versus the horseman, Luger versus the horseman, and all that sort of stuff. But rather than have a match, Sting gets the mic and asks for the rest of the horsemen to come to the ring. So now we have in the ring Sting and Luger, but we also have the whole collective of the horsemen, Flair, Arn, uh, Benoit and Mongo. The women are there as well. And Sting then cuts a promo saying that he is WCW through and through. Lex Luger is WCW through and through. Arn and Flair are also WCW through and through. And he doesn't want to cause any issues with Mongo or Benoit. He doesn't want to um, disrespect them in any way, but he would like them to step aside so that Arn and Flair can team up. It sounds insane saying this to me as a fan of you know, the history of this company and these guys, but Flair and Arn to team up with Luger and Sting to battle the NWO at four ball in the war games match. He's got something to say, let him say it. Sting, you said you had a surprise, is this it? This is it, right here. We can do what we've always done year after year and we can come out here and beat each other up. Or we can just recognize the fact that there is a major problem right here in WCW. I know. Nature Boy and the Total Package knows we can't trust you as far as we can throw you. We will never be able to trust you. That is a fact and we know that. But I also know that all of your blood and your blood and sweat and tears have all been shed. No matter where your wrestling career has ever taken you, they've all been shed right here at WCW. You are WCW, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. The total package is WCW. I am WCW. In 30 days, 30 days, War Games is going to happen. War Games was created by the horsemen for the horsemen. We know that. But with all due respect to Chris Benoit and to Steve McMichaels, there's only four people in this ring right now that have ever felt war games. That's you two, and that's us two. 
So we're not asking, we are demanding that we take those two slots in war games with you two. We'll stop that there before we get on to Arn Anderson and the Horseman's responses. What did you think, Danny, of, of this and the match not happening and then Sting calling the rest of the Horsemen out and this whole scenario up to when Sting and Luger basically extend that offer? This was fantastic storytelling, mate. Um, this was badly needed also because I felt, I mean, this was like a crescendo of starting from when the NWO attacked everyone backstage. I felt that's when the seeds for this were planted because for the, I mean, we've seen Sting get into the ambulance um, with uh, the four horsemen and, and things like that. And it's like, this needed to happen now. I felt they timed this very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, very good stuff. Uh, again, the history of it is what makes it for me. Yeah. Sting and Luger wanting to join forces with Arn and Flair. It is, you know, it would have been unheard of, but the NWO have forced them to this. I mean, that's such a fantastic story point to to, to, to be able to have and use, I feel. Yeah, and, and it's very logical as well because Sting says he can't trust the horseman. And he keeps reiterating that that point because he's right about that. Because look how many times he's been attacked by Ric Flair, how many matches he's had with Barn Anderson. Um, I just love the fact that he's here and he's like, okay, I can't trust you guys, but we're going to have to unite. Mm. Yeah, and, and again, it really puts the NWO over without them actually being there because it means that this 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 invading force, this new group, is forcing people who despise each other to team up for, in theory, the greater good. Yeah. Really interesting. But what makes it even better is when we get the response from the horseman. Mm. Arn Anderson is the guy. He does the majority of the talking here. And again, it seems like we say it. It seems like we say this every week whenever Arn is on the TV or has a microphone or whatever. He is amazing and so real, so believable. And he tells Sting and Luger, you know, yes, we're WCW, but we're horsemen first. Mm. So that point is really important to him and the group. He then points at Luger and says, you can be there looking the way you do. You're you're a physical specimen, but all the wobbly peck exercises you put out, they won't mean anything if you're in war games with us. And then he turns to Sting and says, you've had an albatross around your neck most of your career. And that is these fans, the little stingers. You care too much about what they think. And if you're with us in war games, you can't be thinking of them. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he, he, the gist of it is that this being a fan favorite and, and worrying about your fans is an albatross around your neck. What a brilliant line by Arn Anderson. Yeah. And, and so like relatable as well, because it's like, yes, we, we know Arn Anderson is the ultimate heel. And of course, like he wants Sting to just block them out and join basically. Well, he's like, we have to, we unite as well, but it's it's like should we unite with you and Lex Luger? But we need to point out your flaws too. Mm. It is so good, and there's one shot in particular because 
in a great deal of these these horsemen promos or or you know interview segments when Arn is talking or whenever somebody else is talking flair is bouncing up and down flair's flicking his hair Flair's smiling at the camera and he's being rick flair he's you know kissing the women and all this sort of stuff you know flair's not once broken his stare on luger and sting yeah and as Arn is talking flair is completely deadly serious glaring at these two guys who have been his adversaries his long-term rivals for such a huge portion of the success of his career and he's just staring them you know it just doesn't break eye contact with with them and that by flair doing nothing just the expression on his face and that and that kind of almost shedding of the nature boy aspect of rick flair shows the seriousness of this segment and the seriousness of the words Arn Anderson is putting forward by Flair not reacting because it's so different to what we're used to. You two with us two. Yes. Let me get a couple of things straight here. I don't like you and I don't like you. We don't have the same philosophy. Luger, you got a heck of a body. I mean, you're ripped. But do you know what War Games is all about? You see, you can't bring all these jiggling pecs and all these show muscles to War Games. That won't help you. But now if you bring all that power and dedication that it took to mold that body to War Games, well, that's a different story. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can you do that, Luger? You know, AA, we go way back, as we all know. Our history is your history. Now, you want to make a comment about jiggling pecs or the body, you reach deep down inside and you really think about it, and you Nature Boy too. Have the Stinger and myself in one match, including the War Games, have you ever, when you really think deep down inside, ever left that ring saying, we let up, we didn't give 100%? Ask yourself that question, and you answer that in your own mind before you blow this whole thing off. I I get where you're coming from. Let me go to you. For one night, can you take that albatross out from around your neck that you've had your entire career? And you know what that is, Stinger. The little Stingers. Always caring what the kids thought. Always trying to do the right thing. Because I'm going to tell you, to survive war games or to win war games, you can't do the right thing. You gotta get down in that gutter and you gotta reach into a man's soul and do something so violent and so painful that he looks into your eyes and says, I quit. This is not about pinfalls, it's I submit or surrender. And I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, and I'm telling the world, when I get in war games with the outsiders, they're gonna have to kill me because the words I quit are never coming out of my mouth. Can you do that? I know so many people out there who listen to Nitro Nights, and Danny and I appreciate every single one of you. Thank you so, so much for your support over the last 60-plus episodes. You know, we, we love your bits. We know that so many of you are watching the WSW TV along with us, show by show. But I also know there are some listeners who who watch just bits and bobs or don't watch at all and just enjoy hearing Danny and I you know, talk about it. And God bless you for that as well. I really appreciate it. If you've not seen this, I I encourage you, seek out this segment because Arn Anderson is amazing. 
and the fact that the NWO is forcing these two long-term adversaries, these two groups of um, opponents to to join forces and head into war games. It, it's just such brilliant storytelling. And the story, the story is one aspect, but how the guys on screen portray that story is also what makes it brilliant as well. Because the story can be fantastic. And then Aaron goes out, cuts a bad promo, shits the bed, and wrecks it. The story can be fantastic, and Luger could stutter over his words and, and make it seem rehearsed and, and, and insincere, and it takes away from it. The story can be fantastic, and we get the usual Ric Flair, woo, elbow, drop the canvas nonsense, and it takes away from it. But these guys carry it out perfectly. Yeah, It's so good, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. And it's just put. And the best part about this is we've got weeks until the pay per view, so I'm really hoping we get more segments like this. I think there's going to be some big twists and turns in this story heading to heading to Four Brawl, and I, for one, cannot wait. <laughs> but there we go. Straight afterwards, as well, very interesting placement. We get a um, advertisement that is paid for by the New World Order. And we have Hall and Nash in there. Uh, they keep mentioning they're in Rome, but I yeah. don't think they are. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're talking about uh, the old gladiators. And then they mock the WCW guys. And they laugh at Lex Luger and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's, again, it's the contrast for me because it's the black and white filming. And it's just two guys just basically being being but basically being dickheads and running people down and mocking other people and so on after this huge serious segment has just happened. And I think it really works well as well. I mean, nothing they say is, is of huge relevance or importance to me, Danny, in case I've missed anything. No, no. Uh, well, the, Kevin Nash did ask where the booty babies. is. <laughs> yes. That is a question <laughs> that we are all asking. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's just, it's just fantastic TV, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and as you said, the fantastic placement of uh, where they put this um, straight after the Four Horsemen and Sting and Luger um, uh, segment. So it's just, yeah, um, I'm the same as you. I kind of was like, I mean, it just shows that the outsiders are like, you've had this very serious uh, in-ring segment, and here the next segment is the outsiders kind of just like mocking and like they talk about the giant uh the booty man um and it's just like yeah we're just here having fun we're not too we're not sweating it at all how cool did scott hall look again though yeah with the, <laughs> the sunglasses and the hair and the way he's walk, walking around with that swagger he's just an absolute dude isn't he yeah and i love the fact that he signed off with don't call us we'll call you yeah <laughs> brilliant stuff uh that takes us then to what is supposed to be our main event of the evening and that is the match of randy savage versus the giant the giant is making his entrance to the dungeon of doom theme and savage just runs out and starts walloping in with a chair in the entranceway uh, the giant fights back before the dungeon of doom arrive for god's sake savage <laughs> is still swinging a chair hits a few members of the dungeon of doom Savage then runs off. The giant flies over the top rope and chases after him. The match is thrown out. And then we hear from Bischoff and Bobby Heenan that the War Games match has been made official before Brawl 1996. Luger, Sting, Anderson, Flair versus the NWO. 
but have they only got three guys? They need a fourth. Can they get a fourth guy? And the show effectively goes off the air, Danny. Is there anything you want to add to that segment or anything? Yeah, um, I just I just uh, shout out to the well, and shout out to the um, brutal headshots that um, the giant received from uh, the the steel chair that Randy Savage was swinging at him. Um, I was just like, oh, we we've talked about headshots before on this show, but mm. yeah, it's just they were quite hard to watch. But yeah, um, I mean, we'll get to it in our ratings about how I would have ended this show, but um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, let, let's get straight to it then, I suppose. Uh, we give our plus points and our negatives, our woos and our oh brothers. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Uh, Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, mate. Okay, no problem. Uh, my oh brother this week, my negative, is, I suppose, a little bit of a contradiction. It's not getting the two main matches we were told we were getting. So we didn't get to see the Horseman tag match against Sting and Luger. And we didn't really see the Giant versus Savage either. It's two matches that we were told we were getting and it didn't. we didn't get them. So that's a real shame. But yeah. I am still, again, this is where the contradiction comes in. Even though it's my old brother, I am okay with not getting that because it's worth it for the whole Horseman, Sting and Luger segment. Yeah, but it's still a bit of a shame that we didn't get what we were told we were getting. What about yeah. you, Danny? What's your old brother this week? Mine would be um, the placement of the main event because I I feel the Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Sting and Giant, uh, Sting and Lex Luger segment should have closed the show, um, in my opinion. And instead of because this giant Macho Man um, piece of business really did um, just fall flat for me after the. Um, there's the, such an amazing segment mm, that makes a lot of sense actually i, I didn't think of that you, you're onto something there it did feel i mean even though it was it, there was a lot going on in those those short couple of minutes with the chair yeah. shots of dungeon of doom and then everyone running around and so on it did it did feel quite anticlimactic after that huge drama of the, the horseman segment didn't it yeah, yeah, and it also just made me realise what, like, where are we going with Macho Man swinging the chair? We know he's angry at Hulk Hogan, but why is he attacking the giant so viciously with the chair? Well, this was, they tried to explain this away, didn't they? Well, Bischoff did at least, in saying that he, Savage, feels that the giant has let him and WCW down oh. by letting Hogan get his hands on the world title. Yeah. So... I mean, I can, I can understand what they're trying to get at with that, but I think it's a bit weak. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you watch the match back from the pay-per-view and you see all the outside interference and nobody came to the ring to help the giant. Yeah, you know, especially so... not Macho Man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> your woo, my friend, your, uh, your, your main plus point for this episode of Nitro. To the surprise of no one, it had to be the Four Horsemen, Sting and Luger um, segment. But in particular, it would have to be the way Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael sold um, when they were being asked to step aside for the placements of Sting and Luger. The way the two sold that was very, very cool, especially with uh, Mongo, because you could see he was very frustrated and he was like, ah, damn it. But I think he was very, very logical, the whole thing. 
I'll be honest. I mean, mine's the same, by the way. My yeah. woo is the same. It is that segment and Arn Anderson in particular. That is the is my my woo for this week. But we didn't touch upon that, did we? The whole Mongo and Benoit thing, because they're being asked effectively the Horsemen are a group, and they're being asked to step aside and let two other guys take their spots in war games. And I'm I'm with you. The way it's done is brilliant because they they obviously don't want to step aside. No, but they they say themselves. Well, well, first of all, Mongo says to Sting and Luger, if you let us down, we're going to come for you and so on, which is fair enough. But I think it's Benoit who says, if this is what Anderson wants, if this is what yeah. this, this is what the enforcer wants, then I'm willing to do that. I don't want to, but if that's what Arn thinks is for the best, then I will stand, you know, I, effectively he's calling rank and I will stand behind him. So I think it's a yeah. really clever way of, of getting out of that little part of the story for, for me, Danny. Yeah, it really was, mate, and it explains. But they also say they will be watching Sting and Lex Luger very closely at the pay-per-view as well, so mm. who knows what's going to happen. Yes, I think there's a lot of storytelling and drama to come in the next few weeks. Overall, then, Danny, this episode of Monday Nitro, hit, miss or middling, my friend? Big hit this week, Si. Um, yeah, there were some great matches. There was there was very little um, that I just didn't want to watch, Like, but yeah, um, we, I mean, we complained about. I mean, we talked about the giant versus Macho Man kind of um, segment there, but yeah, a big hit overall, mate. How about yourself? I, I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. It's a big hit. There was some great wrestling matches, um, wrestling that's right up my street. The exact type of wrestling I enjoy, and everything Arn Anderson touches at the moment turns to gold. Both yeah. of the seg- both of the interviews he gave were fantastic, and that particular segment, especially, was just incredible and it sets up the stories for the next few weeks heading into this big pay-per-view when we're going to get effectively the nwo versus wcw in a team scenario for the first time so that i find that i think is very very intriguing it really is mate i'm hoping in the next couple weeks they build more um intrigue about how the um cage is going to be set up and and things like that, and who the NWO are going to bring in. Um, mm. Yeah, it should be really good. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And that is for future weeks, uh, where you can join us in future weeks every Thursday via SJP World Media, looking at WCW show by show, week by week, retracing the steps of this wrestling company one show at a time. But before we get to next week, we have to sign off this week. Danny, where can everybody find you online? and all the brilliant shows you're involved in. Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man Meets Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Sire Powell, where we'll be discussing more WCW gold. We will indeed. We will indeed. Uh, anything I'm involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. That's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter, and SJP World Media on all of your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Make sure you check out all the shows on the network, looking at nostalgia from a wrestling standpoint and also a music standpoint tv standpoint and so on and then we have modern day shows as well the likes of in the corner and regularly scheduled hostilities looking at modern day wrestling but if it's just if wrestling isn't your thing first of all while you're listening to this that's a bit weird 
But if wrestling isn't your thing, we also have shows covering Doctor Who, Quantum Leap, the BBC uh, early 2000s anthology series Murder in Mind, and numerous other shows coming soon. I mean, Danny himself is sat down very recently with our good friend Tyler Peters on their show Back When, and I've took a look at a album by the artist Dream Theatre, which I'm looking forward to hearing myself as well. So much going on on the network. Please go and check it out. Hit the subscribe button, the notification button, and all that good stuff so you never miss a show. But this show itself, most importantly, you can find on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. Danny, it's been a blast. We're on the road to four brawl. I cannot wait, my friend. Me too, mate. It's great. I cannot wait to speak to you again next week. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.